Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Master Mix podcast. I'm Mike and Davina, and thank you so much for being here today. Today, my guest is Alex Crescioni, and if you're not familiar with Alex, Alex is an engineer who works in mainly the metal genre, and he's just absolutely been crushing it lately. So I wanted to have him on here because I think he has a really positive attitude about working his way into the industry and making himself known for what he is best at doing. So, you know, throughout this conversation, you'll notice that there's a trend in the way Alex approaches his projects. He always chooses projects based on what is going to work best for him? What gives him the joy of working on music? And I think that this is something that we tend to not talk about enough on this podcast. We have a lot of people who say, just hustle your ass off and take on every gig. But Alex has a bit of a different approach here. And I think it's a really positive, different outlook on how to get your foot in the door and really showcase your best talents. So I think that you're going to really enjoy this conversation. If you're someone who is looking to get in and you're not sure where to start, or you're kind of just like constantly working on projects thinking like, oh man, like I should be working on something that's so much better than this. Or, you know, I just feel like I need to say yes to every project. I think you're going to find a lot of very valuable tips inside of this podcast because Alex really has this nailed down. And I think you're going to really like what Alex has to say about that approach. And it's going to allow you to work on more of what you love rather than feeling like you're playing this constant game of needing to catch up or feeling like you need to do everything just to get your experience and get your feet wet. So I think you're going to really find this helpful. We also get into some awesome advice about working in the metal genre. And he shares some really great tips on getting the low end right. He's got an awesome technique for mixing bass, which we get into. And we also talk about clipping, which is something that we don't really talk about a lot on this podcast. But clipping is one of those things that a lot of people shy away from because they think that if they see the red light go on that, you know, that's bad. And and that's something that a lot of people are trained on. But Alex uses it in a very creative way. So in this episode, you're gonna learn all about that. So let's not waste any time. Let's just jump right into the episode. Alex Crescioni, thank you so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. How you doing, man? Doing great, man. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. Of course, man. No problem. For people who might not know your history in music, how did you get into where you are now and, and into music in general? And, and how did you get into the producing role as well? Uh, it's, it's such a long story with so many different steps along the way. But basically, I, um, I grew up playing piano, classical piano. Um, my mom really wanted me to take lessons. So that's how it started when I was like super young, like I think like four, four or five. And um, from there, it just it switched to guitar after that. And um, then I just got into the more of the heavier music. Like I just discovered like punk and, you know, like, you know, Green Day and Blink-182. And I was like really into like the sound of the guitars. I was like, well, I love the ways, you know, these hard, heavy guitar sounds. And then from there, it just like got more and more intense so when i first discovered bands like you know corn cold chamber or like introducing all these heavy uh guitars i i was just fascinated with that and um that led me to get my first seven string when i was maybe i think i was in junior high maybe like 13 14 and um yeah and then i just fell in love with it i just immersed myself in um starting started a bunch of bands in junior high and high school and just trying to play as much as possible um and i learned a lot before i decided to go to musicians institute in hollywood um there i just i studied guitar and i studied audio engineering and then from there i did the intern stuff and um made a lot of mistakes, like made a lot of, <laughs> had a lot of realizations about, you know, how I wanted to do things. Cause I saw a lot of things going on that I just, a lot of, I, basically I learned a lot about like how I didn't want to, you know, proceed with my career just based off of experiences. But, um, yeah, man, it's just, there's so many other things in between that, but yeah, basically, you know, just started young and just fell in love with it and, um, realized that, after playing in bands, um, I'm more of a studio, a studio person. I just love being, I love being, you know, behind the board or behind the, you know, control room and just basically shaping sounds and, um, 
having control over. I love the, the idea of being able to take whether, you know, I'm producing or just mixing or mastering. I love the idea of being able to totally shape the sound of the final product. It's just, I love it so much. And, um, it never gets old, like never, uh, you know, every day when I come into the studio, I'm just like absolutely so excited. And just, that's, that's how I know, like, it's what I'm supposed to do because it's like, you know, some people just, they go to their job and they're just hating it. Or even, so I know some people, um, that do what we do and they're not like, I don't know. I just, I can't, I can't imagine doing this and not being just so freaking excited every day to do it. You know what I mean? So anyway, I kind of went off on a tangent, but yeah, man, just started young and just fell in love with it. And it's just been getting my passion for it has just grown ever since. Love it, man. I could definitely relate to a lot of that when you, so you were a guitarist first and you were playing in your bands when you went to the musicians Institute, did you go in like, obviously it sounded like you did some production stuff, but did you go in thinking at that point that you wanted to get into production or was that just kind of like part of the program and then you got roped in from there? Well, I felt like the first dream was I wanted to be, you know, in a famous rock band or metal band. And uh, I went in to, uh, to MI, um, I first did the uh, GIT program, which studied guitar, uh, music theory, performance, all that. So the first dream was to do the band thing. Um, and I just realized over time, I was like, well, you know, I tried to be as real with myself as possible. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm just gravitating more towards production and making the music rather than performing it and doing the whole touring thing. So I just kind of, I just decided, you know, yeah, I just need to be real with myself and do what is more natural. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really glad that I made that decision because it's more of, who I am. Um, and I'm not, I'm not against, you know, playing in bands anymore or doing shows or touring because, um, I still, I still love the idea of that, but, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just meant for the studio basically. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, just even based on the few things that you've said there already, like, it sounds like you're the type of person who really reflects a lot about, is this the right thing for me? And, if it isn't, then I'm going to pivot. If it is, then I'm going to double down on it. Yeah. Um, you know, because it is a hard, sometimes it's a hard realization to, you know, you really want one certain thing and then, you know, years into it, maybe going, hmm, you know what? I'm, this isn't as like, well, this isn't exactly the right thing for me, like as much as I thought it was going to be. So, um, I don't know. I just, I try to like every six months to a year, just kind of reflect on what's been going on and how I've been feeling and, you know, just really trying to reflect and go, okay, well, am I still on the right path or do I need to pivot or am I still as passionate about this or more than I was a year ago? Um, and for, for me, I just, like I said, I realized, you know, it's not about being in a famous band anymore. It's just about making records. So I just, uh, I just made that decision and, you know, I've just been so happy ever since I'm not like chasing that. Um, yeah, I got to push really hard and being a, you know, being a successful band and tour and do all that. Like that's, that is definitely not, um, top priority. So <laughs> for sure. Well, I think that often anyone who's getting into this industry, especially when you're younger, you're kind of told that there is this like traditional path that you have to follow. And it's like, go get an intern, work for free, work 24 seven for like multiple years, and then you'll get a job. And, and like, uh, there's first off, there's no guarantee you're going to get a job, you know? And, and I think that's the scariest part of this whole thing. And so when I hear your story, like I, I resonate with that. Cause I, I, I remember interviewing with some bigger producers that were like, yep, you're going to work for me for like three years. And basically every day for like, you know, 16 hours a day, maybe even longer. And yeah, afterwards, like I'll give you a minimum paying job. And it's like, is that the life I want for myself? You know? Um, and I think, you know, it sounds like you very quickly realize, okay, this isn't the path I want to do. I can create this path of my own. And that that's exactly how I followed it. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on for people who are getting into this industry and who are in that boat of like, 
should I go this traditional route versus just trying it on my own? What advice would you have for those people looking back at everything you've gone through now and, you know, seeing those ups and downs along the way? That's a great question. Um, well, I feel like there are certain people that they're just meant to go to college, like meant to go to a school and that's how they learn. That's how they thrive. They want to, you know, be in class. They want to network, meet new people. Um, and I still think that's a great way to go as long as you really, um, really, really apply yourself and do the work. It's so easy um, yeah, at music schools to get distracted with, you know, with whatever partying, you know, going out and doing whatever. And, you know, I, I saw a lot of that and I saw a lot of people um, that I made friends with, like after, after school is over, like they just, they tried to do some stuff for like a year and then they just went back home and uh, they stopped music completely. And, um, but I do feel like if that's what you feel is what you want, um, there is still a lot to gain from that. Um, but I also feel like, especially from going to a music school, um, thinking this day and age with YouTube and all the, uh, online courses there are for audio engineering specifically, um, you don't need to, I mean, if you really want to you really want to get into it. Um, I feel like just even on, there's so much to learn just on YouTube. Um, so much stuff. And yeah, there are, there is a lot of th stuff that a lot of information, like bad information, but there's still so much, uh, to learn. I mean, it just blows my mind. All these, uh, all these producers and, you know, teachers on YouTube, like putting out so much great content that I was like, I, I still learn every day. I'm like, I'm still, you know, <laughs> I just follow a bunch of people and I'm, I love like all these clips they post like tips and tricks. Like I'm constantly like consuming all that stuff, like still, cause like so much to learn. Um, but I feel like, yeah, school is, is great. If that's the kind of, if that's how you need to learn. But I also feel like, yeah, you definitely do not need it at all. Like you can, completely uh do it on your own and do it just as well on your own yeah absolutely i, th I think I, I agree with that as well and i i also went to school for this stuff too and you know I, I think that the biggest differentiator is that like there's there are a lot of people who go to school thinking that like school is the answer to everything and i'm gonna go i'm gonna know it all when i'm done and i'm just gonna get a job and then there's the people that are just hungry for this and that even after school, like yourself, like they continue to push themselves to learn every day. And like, those are the people that end up having the success with it because you're driven to succeed. You're driven to push yourself further. And it's not like you just learn all this information and then it's done. It's like, you're constantly practicing. You're constantly going deeper with it. And, uh, you know, I think that that is really the differentiating factor of who succeeds in this industry. So whether you go to school or not, it's like, if you're hungry for it, you're going to push yourself to learn it and, and get those gigs. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you know, these big producers, like if you want to do an internship or assist, I mean, I would say most of them don't care if you went to music school or not, or you went to an um, engineering school, they just want you to be great. And they want you to be um, easy to work with, have the right etiquette in the studio. Like they don't care. I mean, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, and you know, people, there's people that go to school and they, they study and they, they try to, they do really well, but maybe they don't have that drive or they don't have the, the people skills or so they go out and they try to get a job at a studio and they're just, you know, they don't have the etiquette and they're not, you know, having a really hard time getting into a studio. And then there's people that didn't go to school, but they just have that They're you know, they're, they're like very good with talking with people and networking and they're respectful in the studio and they know when to talk and when to not talk. Like all those little things like are so important. And I feel like, you have to go through that to learn that like in the real world. I don't think you can really be taught that in at a school. Like you just have to, you have to have it or not, you know, I think some people just have it or some people don't. And um, yeah, man, like I, I really don't, I don't know any, I don't know any producers or any, anyone that comes off the top of my head that would really care if you have a degree or not from so-and-so school, like to, as long as your work is amazing and you're a great person to work with, like, I don't know, it's, yeah, <laughs> so. I think it's also a willingness to learn and unlearn at the same time and just try new things. Like I'm always reminded of like, I remember one of the first sessions I had after I graduated college, I, I remember talking to like the head engineer at the studio I was at and he was like, oh, you, you went to audio college. Cool. Um, forget everything you learned there because we do everything different here. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing is each, 
producer and studio everyone works differently and something that you that was ingrained into your mind in uh, audio engineering school that you just it's it's so hard to unlearn that a lot of those things might be the exact opposite of what they want you to do so it's kind of like you know that's why you know i say you can just you can learn all this stif- stuff on your own like and a great way to do that is if you can just you know make friends with if you have a friend that's a producer or somebody like you look up to and if you can like slowly you know develop a relationship with them and then just learn from them you know and um i don't know it's just there's so many ways to go about it but um yeah yeah it's definitely it's definitely about like how driven are you you know absolutely man yeah well i I love that i think you know it's important for us to kind of let people know that there's these options out there and it's like you know act on your hunger for this industry and you know you don't have to go the traditional route i i I don't like pushing the like every time i have someone on the podcast who's like you got to get an internship and like that's the way to do it like a part of me just cringes at it you know (laughs) like not that they're wrong i mean that's that's what they know but like you know it's it's I, I just don't think that that is the way I would do it again if I had to, you know. Same. Yeah. I mean, I think some people could really benefit from an internship. It just depends on the situation and, you know, how they're being treated and what if they're actually learning about audio um, at all or if they're just, you know, cleaning and getting food for like a year or two. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, there's a there's there's a lot to learn from from that as well, I guess. But um, I don't know. It's just, it really depends on the situation, but yeah, I, I feel like some people definitely could learn a lot from the right internship. You know? For sure. Yeah. I, I think that that's a good point. It's, it's finding the right person to mentor you and getting that proper experience. Cause yeah, I mean, what, what good is cleaning toilets or getting lunch orders for two years? If like really you only get like half hour a day, if that of like actual audio education, right? Yeah, if you never like you're never even let into the studio or you like you don't even learn one thing from the engineer like at all. I mean, there you're not even allowed in. I mean, come on, you know? Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that, I I love that. I I think this is an important conversation to have. Um, but I do want to shift gears a little bit to some of your productions and I mean, you're doing a lot of great work especially in like the the metal scene and I'd love to just talk a lot about your production approach and you know when you're mixing kind of learn a little bit about that approach when it comes to producing albums what's your normal approach with working with a band do you like to get involved in the songwriting process or do you see yourself kind of as more of like a traditional engineer and kind of just like stay away from the songwriting and arrangement side what's what's your definition of a producer well if a band comes to me and they're hiring me to produce then i kind of like to have a you know First of all, like I, I really have to, I have to get in and have a meeting and like sit down with the band and make sure like we're even vibing in the same room, like with just conversation. Because if that isn't there, like if there's a weird, uh, awkward chemistry, like right off the bat, then I know like, okay, this might, this might not even work. Um, cause I'm really, I'm really sensitive to that stuff. It's like, I think it, it really, really matters, you know, how, Cause you know, you're about to go on a, you know, who know, like a week, two week, three week, a few months, uh, journey with this, with this band. So you, you want to like, you know, get along and enjoy each other's chemistry. So yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to know right away just from a meeting, but, um, I do feel like the first impression says a lot. Um, but so if a band, if a band wants to hire me for production. Yeah, I do. I do like to be heavily involved as much as they will allow. So I like to talk about that in the initial meeting, like, okay, well, how, you know, how much of my input do you want? Do you want any of my input? Like, so I just kind of gauge that from the conversation. Um, but I, by default, I do really like to get in there and, uh, you know, arrange suggest variations to riffs like i'll even i'll play guitar i'll play bass like i'll do whatever they need um for the sake of the production really yeah and and in your opinion what ends up making a good song well for me it's that initial reaction like when i know i love a song is when i want to keep i want to hear it again and again like it's uh it's more of an initial like gut feeling like, you know, goosebumps. Um, sometimes when I hear like a really fucking good song that hits me, like it's, um, I'll have like a physical reaction to it. Not like, um, 
you know, some people will hear a song and they'll, they'll start, they'll cry. But I mean, sometimes I'll hear a song and I'm just like taken aback, like physically, like it'll physically do something to you. What I mean, in some way. Um, so I know that to me is what makes a good song when you hear it and you're just like freaking blown away and you're like physically feeling it and you're like, wow, you know, it has a huge impact. Um, to me, that's, that's what makes a great song. Not necessarily like, um, what the vocalist is saying but it's like how does the song as a whole make you feel and do you want to keep listening to it instead of just skip it or you're like 10 seconds into it and you're like eh you know what i mean it's like a song that keeps you captivated and then you're feeling um you're having an emotional like physical reaction to the song that's how i, I would say yeah yeah that, that goosebump meter is definitely an important factor i think yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you're when you start working with a band, what's that normal process look like? Are they just sending you some demos? Or are you kind of doing some pre-production? What what's that initial stage look like? Well, if I'm doing the production, then yeah, I, I need to I ask, okay, well send me some of your best songs if you have things out already, or if you're just like I've get hit hit up by um new bands a lot. So I'm like, okay, well, at least send me some because a lot of the bands they don't have recordings there or they have like uh, recordings of their rehearsals. So I'm like, yeah, just send me, you know, your, your best song or two of your best songs and let me check it out. And then just kind of from that, I can gauge whether I'm even, um, the right fit for them. Um, but yeah, I basically just, I like to research the band as much as possible. Um, what is their social media like? How experienced are they? Have they toured? Have they, how many records do they have out? Like all that stuff. I like research as much as possible because, you know, I, I, I want to be able to serve them the best I can. And I also want to know what I'm getting into. So yeah, it's a lot of, um, you know, I do my research and, uh, yeah, that's basically how I start out. I think that that's really important what you said there of kind of doing your research to see whether it's the right fit for yourself, because, yeah, there's a lot of people, especially in that earlier stage of of getting into this as a profession, where like you're just going to take everything on and you're going to say yes to everything. And the risk you take with that is that you might end up working on a bunch of shitty projects that kind of diminish your name and that aren't really showcasing your talents to the fullest. So, you know, it's 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 almost better to know your own strengths and to work only with those strengths and just have this consistency in your pl in your catalog so that when bands come to you, it's like it's very clear what you do and who's the right fit for you. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, like what you just said in the beginning of my career, yeah, I would 99% of the time I would take on almost anyone that inquired about um, recording, production, mixer, master, because I was just like so hungry and so eager to like, I just wanted to work with, you know, you know, build up the client list and whatnot. So I would pretty much take on anything, but now um, I'm much more selective about who I work with. Um, and I, not because I want to not, uh, not because I don't want to work with, you know, as many great bands and musicians as possible, but yeah, like what you said just now, um, because unfortunately, you know, you're judged off of your discography, you're judged off of your last mix most of the time. So if your last mix is a band that you weren't so crazy about that, you know, say they sent you an EP or a single to master or mix. And it like, it just wasn't your cup of tea and it wasn't recorded that well. And you did your best on it, but it's not like, uh, part, it's not, it's not your best work, but that's your last, uh, your last piece of work. So, I mean, it is a challenge, but I th I'd say now I'm much more, um, I'm much more selective about, about who I, uh, accept as a client. For sure. Well, everything, everything you say yes to is a no to something else, essentially, right? Like that perfect client could be trying to knock on your door and you're like, oh, sorry, I'm busy working on this project that I really don't care about. So, you know, that doesn't really help you at all. And that's another thing too. It's also, you're doing a disservice to the client if, if you're working on their, their music, but you're not really stoked about it. You're just doing it because like, say you're slow or, you know, you're, you know, you need the money that month or whatever. There's a bunch of reasons. So I still feel like I I would rather just, even though like it would probably be a fun gig, regardless if I'm like crazy about the music or not, like I'll still like, at least now in my career, I will, I will politely suggest, or I'll politely decline and suggest, okay, maybe you might be better with uh, this person. Let me introduce you. So 
you know, I, I, I feel like, yeah, it is a disservice if to them, if you're working on their stuff, but you're not really like super stoked about it. You know what I mean? So, well, I think that that's also a really interesting point that you just brought up there of having that referral system in a way where if something isn't the right fit for you, you can recommend it to someone else who is, and they'll do the same. It's kind of this reciprocal thing that kind of just keeps everyone happy. Right. So like, that's, that's definitely a good thing. Cause I feel like there's so many engineers that just look at other engineers as competition. And it's like, if I don't do this, then that person's going to steal my gig and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, we should all just be working together. And it actually helps strengthen everyone's brand, if you want to call it that, you know, like. Yeah, I, I, I love that you said that because I do feel like um, there is a lot of, well, there is a lot of competition, of course, but I feel like there are a lot of music um, engineers and producers that they, they do send work off to each other. Like, okay, I'm too busy this month, so I'm going to send it to my friend, um, so-and-so to produce it like but i do feel like there is a circle uh, there is like tension sometimes it just feels like um i don't know like i wish more producers and engineers and mixers have that mentality where it's like okay we're not we're not in a competition i mean even though like technically yeah it is but um you know because it does feel sometimes like we're like a little bit cold. Like I, I've reached out to engineers that um, I look up to um, just to like talk and pick their brain. And like a lot of them like won't even give me the time of day. And I, I, I get it. Um, but I just feel like there's sometimes there's a bit of this, like, I don't know, there's this dark cloud around it. Like, you know, well, I don't know if it's because not like, well, there might be a feeling of like feeling threatened or like, Oh, well you're, you know, you're my competition. So I, I can't really, you know, be friendly with you. I don't know if that, if that makes sense, but I do get that vibe sometimes. And it's unfortunate because like, I just want to, I just want to work and make great music. And I refer, I refer clients when I can. And um, sometimes people refer um, work to me. So that's great. But yeah, I do feel like there's a little bit of that still, but I hope that, um hope that over time, like it gets more of a like friendly open community you know what i mean absolutely well i think that everyone has their strength right and when you listen to someone's portfolio you can quickly identify whether that is the right fit for you or not and and there's going to be some people that you know maybe work on the same genre of music but maybe one person is better at working with vocals and vocals is something that's super important to you and like coming up with harmonies and stuff so maybe that's the best person to go with because that's their specialty. And maybe that's when you refer someone to that person. Cause it's like, okay, I know that like they're better at that than I am. Like let them have that project and they'll pass it off to me. Cause I'm better at drums or something like that. You know, like there's always that kind of strength that I think you can collaborate with. And, and it just, it makes the community a lot stronger and also just showcases more of your best work. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you had talked about that goosebump factor a little while ago and when you're listening when you're listening to a band for the first time you're kind of listening to their songs and determining like whether or not it's something that resonates with you what are some of the mistakes i guess you would say that people are making that like prevent you from having those goosebumps i feel like a lot of bands especially in metal right now like they're trying to like they're there's a it's more about some of them are more about the technicality and being like as technical and extreme and gnarly as possible and not really focusing on what's best for the song. Um, and just trying to like cram as many notes in there as possible, just because it's, I don't know, because they're wanting to show off their skills, which is great. But I also feel like, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just, Oh man, like there's, there's songs where like, damn, it, that would have been so much more, um, impactful if you just, kept writing out that riff for another eight bars or whatever and just kept that kept it simple right there you know what i mean and just because it's like some riffs like they're so fucking they groove and they like grind so well and then it's like damn it would have been so awesome to hear that like eight more times or just you know instead of changing like so many like random like sporadic song structures which i guess is fine for certain genres and subgenres of metal but yeah i feel like some bands are just all about um, the technicality and the intricacies and being as gnarly as possible and like never repeating something, um, which, yeah, like I said, is, is part of some of these subgenres. but yeah, um, I guess focusing on the song as a whole and like how it feels more than like 
making sure all these parts like, no, this has to be this way and this has to be this way and it has to be this many times and it has to change every measure, like stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that there's, I think it's just like, it's like an egotistical thing that musicians do where it's like, they, they have this, like, I got to prove that I'm good at this kind of mentality. And like, and it's like, they, it's hard to sometimes when you, when you're in that position of, especially if you're like an earlier band and you're just getting started, like you're going to have this natural tendency to want to showcase like your best skills, but it's very easy to forget that you're writing a song at the end of the day and that people are just listening to this as a song and not analyzing your playing. You know, it's like, what, what's the, what's the purpose of you just showing off how great you are? Like, what, what do you get? At, what are you getting out of that? Are you hoping people are going to hire you to be the musician in their band or something like that? Like, I often wonder about that, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there's a lot of bands I love that are that way. Like, you know, um, this old technical death metal band called, um, Necrophagist. I don't know if you've heard them, but they're like the way, like there's some bands that do it in such a tasteful way that it's like almost, it's like almost, you can't tell how technical it is because the song structure and the melodies are so like flow together so well. Like they're a great example of that also, um, this newer band called, um, Obscura, but like they're, there's bands like they do it very well and very tastefully and very, uh, like very, um, I guess what would the word be like very um, like fluidly, like very authentic. Um, but like, there's other bands that do it where you, you can tell they're just trying to be as technical as possible. And it's just like working against them. You know what I mean? Do you find that in like the metal genre from my experience with it, a lot of the metal guys that I know, they're kind of always working in like guitar pro and they're like really mapping out their, their tracks way before they even start playing them as a band. And, and I think that like when you're in software like that and you're writing, like you have this natural tendency to try to experiment a lot more because you just have like unlimited possibilities. If, even if you can't physically play it yet, you're like, oh, I'll try this out and see how, how this sounds. And, and I think that sometimes that might be part of the problem about why things are so technical is just people like have approached it from like a non-musical perspective. I, I, I don't know if you'd agree with that or not, but. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Um, that's another thing that I think is really important to like be real with yourself because yeah, I mean, you could sit there and you can write out this epic piece and get a guitar pro and it sounds great, but yeah, maybe you can play like or each riff, like in sections, but then when you go in to record this, like that's a, that's a big thing. Like, I've run into before is, um, you know, really make sure you can play the parts, uh, before you go into the studio, just because you tab it all out in guitar pro and it sounds great. And it's like a full epic song, um, really make sure that you practice it and you practice the transitions between riffs and you can at least like play, you know, the verse and then the chorus and this section, like, cause I get it. You know, the reality is most, most of the time, like you're punching in stuff and that's fine. Not a lot of bands can play songs all the way through, um, from the, from the beginning to the end in one take. Um, it's a lot of punching in with metal and that's fine. But if you're having to punch in like every bar, every, you know, measure, it's like, come on, you know, just, this is, it's just a little ridiculous in my opinion. So I would say like, yeah, it's great. If you, if you want to tab out all your stuff, awesome. But also like take the time before you go into the studio, especially if you're like spending a lot of money, um, and you're working with a big producer, really make sure you, you can play as much of the song all the way through, I like, guess, possible. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually you got to play these songs live. So why wouldn't you learn it to, to capture it in the best way possible in the studio? Right. <laughs> right. Well, I, yeah, but I, there are like, there's this mentality, I think with a lot of, I think younger guitarists and musicians like, well, I'll just tab it out and we'll go in and we'll piece it together. And it's like, no, um, <laughs> I mean, if that's how, if that's what you want to do, if you want to spend like, you know, you, you know, if you're on the clock and you want to spend your hours in the studio, like punching in like note by note or like line by line, like, okay. But I mean, you know, that's not like how that's not very inspiring if that, you know, <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like the most effective use of your time in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I also think too, it's like, it, it's one of those things like, don't you want to look back at this recording and think to yourself, like I played that as opposed to it was so pieced together 
that yeah because <laughs> eventually yeah somebody's gonna see you play live and if you can't do it then it becomes very revealing like you're you're more likely to play your songs live than to have people listening to your record i think like you know like pe- more people will see you live i think than listen to your record in a way um yeah <laughs> but yeah that's it's always a disappointment though it's like you hear this killer album that's like super technical and awesome and you're like wow it's just like so impressive but then when you see the band live and it's just like such a letdown, like that's the worst, that's the worst. But what's also great is when you see like a new band you haven't heard of and they're freaking amazing live and they're super technical and badass musicians. And then you hear the record and it's even better, or like even more organic. Um, that's what you want. You know what I mean? You don't want the, the opposite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes people just need to be told too that like, Hey, look, like you can actually simplify this and your song will become better because of that. You know, I, I just, as a, a early memory from when I was learning drums, like I remember like right away, I brought in some like super technical record to my, to my drum teacher. And I was like, Hey, I want to learn these songs. And he was like, you know what? Hold up. Like, here's this like Weezer blue album. Just learn this. And he's like, if you learn one song, you've learned them all. But like, but when I did that, I remember thinking to myself like, Oh shit, like drums can be simple and musical at the same time, you know, like, so it's the same thing with any other instrument. It's like, sometimes you just have to simplify and all of a sudden you get more feel to your songs, more like emotion. And, uh, yeah, it definitely goes a long way to just dial back sometimes. Yeah. And then it also, it brings out more of your unique playing, you know, cause I feel like a lot of musicians, they're, they're like striving to be you know, a lot of them are, you know, they want to, they have musicians they're looking up to and they're like trying to play like that. And they're trying to have similar techniques, which I get, like I'm guilty of, but I feel like when you just slow down and really pay attention to when you haven't listened to like a song in a couple of days and you sit down to write a riff or write a chord progression, like what, what truly authentically it comes out of you uh, as, as an artist and pay more attention to that and then just hone that. And um, it's much more, it's much more satisfying. I feel. Cause then it's like, well, this is truly who I am. I'm not trying to, you know, copy any other musician right now. I'm just writing like what's coming out of me in this very moment. And um, yeah, I feel like the bands that we really, look up to and the musicians and the artists they're they're really tapped into to, they're really tapped into that and like who they are as a, a songwriter absolutely you know? yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a really good point it's just like the feel the natural feel tends to be a little bit slower when you're writing like out of emotions versus like technicality sure but yeah also like another thing i noticed is you know we have our influences and we want to sound a certain way but a lot of the time like who we actually are as a musician and a songwriter it's just, we can't help, we can't help how we write and what comes out. It's like, and a lot of the time, it's not really what our influences are. You know what I mean? So I think it's, it's okay to just, to roll with that, you know, and be like, well, I really love these musicians and these sounds and these bands, but the way I naturally write is more like this. And you just, just, you know, if you can just be more accepting of that and just roll with that, then I feel like in the long term, like you'll be much more fulfilled as a songwriter. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. I love that approach to just your whole approach to production and, and just finding the bands that work for you and that have that emotion and, and listening out for those things. I think that that really does serve you and benefit you to, to have that approach to, to working on tracks. Cause yeah, your portfolio is just going to get stronger by finding those bands that really you resonate with and that will resonate with other people. Um, I'd love to shift gears and talk a little bit about mixing. When you start a mix, like what is your typical mindset or approach to getting started with a mix? Well, it's usually like I'll, if the artist has a rough, I'll listen to the rough like once, like I'll get the first, my first instinct and my first impression of the rough um, before, this is like after I've prepped the session. So I like to do all the prep work first on like a separate day that I'm actually mixing. Cause the prep work, as you know, it's like, it's like kind of the grueling part of the job is like, all right, I gotta, gotta open up these tracks, see what I'm, see, see what I'm dealing with. Is everything good to go? Or is it need a lot of, of work before I even start to mix? And then once I'm like ready to mix and everything is prepped, then I'll listen to the rough if they have one. And I'm like, okay, I see, I see what they're doing in the rough. I'm going to try and retain all these things, but also like, you know, do my thing to it. Um, but yeah, I definitely, uh, I have templates, but 
each project, like if I'm mixing um, more than one song, I'll usually start with one. Uh, and my templates are more like, they're not a lot, of, a lot of producers and mixers, their templates are like all the tracks, like every single track with plugins. Mine is more like um, my groups because I like to I find that I like to, depending on the artist and the song, I don't like to always use the same plugin chains and settings on um, all the drums and the guitars. I kind of like to experiment with that and it doesn't take that much longer to like switch things out. But my templates are mainly um, like, my parallel compression like my drum groups my drum groups like all the instrument groups and the master so that i have a few different templates for which i import but yeah it's really just like making sure everything is there and uh, nothing needs to be edited still and everything is comped and then once i know like everything's there then i'm then i'm good to go but yeah there is there is like a good amount of prep work before even starting the mix for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that like the way you describe your template, I, I always kind of refer to it as there's two types of templates. There's like the starting point template, which is just like getting up and running quickly, which is like, sounds like what you're doing where you've got your busing set up, you've got your group set up and maybe you have some plugins that are there, but they're all bypassed or, you know, just neutral. And then there are the people that have that kind of like all buttons in template where it's like everything is all firing at all cylinders, like every plugin's live. And, and I think that it really, it, it's important to know your workflow and what works best for you. And I think it also takes like a certain level of skill before you can really rely heavily on a template where everything is on because it can also undo a lot of the work that sounds good in the, in the raw track. So you have to really understand that, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I was really excited when, um, you had you had Billy Decker on your podcast, but when his his book came out, his uh, template mixing and mastering. Did you did you buy that? Yeah, did you I check did. that out. It's a great book. Okay, I got it right away, and I was like, I want to try. I want to try exactly how he does it, and a lot of things worked, and a lot of things didn't. And I was like, okay, I see. Like, I see how it works for him, but like, I can't. I can't take because everything I get, it's so like the source files are so different. They're so, they're so different from each band. It's like, it just doesn't work for me. You know what I mean? Like I have to, so the, I can have every, like I can have my groups and all my master chain stuff. I can have that as a template, but I can't have every single multi-track, you know what I mean? So, cause I'm always like, I'm trying different EQs and compressors on certain thing. Cause some drums I get, they're already like slamming and sounding really good. So I don't need to do that much on the individual tracks, but some drums I get are just like, they're dull and they're kind of thin. So like I have to do way more, you know, on the, indiv the individual, individual tracks for that. But um, yeah, man, I, I, I really like the idea of, of the templates though. It's like it's very helpful. It's really gets things going quick. Um, so I'm definitely for that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think also on that note, it's just like, it depends on your role in the project. If you're the person who's recording everything and you're, you're always like, in control of every stage of the process, then like templates can be a godsend because like you can, you have that control of what your input levels are going to be like, what your micing, micing situation is going to be like, all that kind of stuff. Whereas when you're getting stems or, or tracks from multiple people, it's like, um, you, it's, it's really just kind of a crapshoot as to what you're going to get. And, and like that can absolutely destroy your template, you know, like it can make your template useless. Um, and, and I remember talking with Billy about that and, you know, he was telling me, and I can't remember if this is in the episode or maybe it was just something we were talking about off air, but he was saying like a lot of times he's just in Nashville, there's only so many studios there, you know, and all the big artists are working in the same studio. So there kind of is like a natural consistency in what kind of quality you're going to get and the engineers that are in these places. So there's, there is a lot more consistency there. And he's even built templates that are based on the individual studios. So he, so he's got like notches on like rooms, room mics so that he knows like, okay, this is what Oceanway sounds like. This is what this studio sounds like. So he's got that all built in. So yeah, obviously if you're getting consistent tracks, like having that template where everything firing like it's gonna work a lot smoother but when it's all random and you're working with people who are doing it in their basement and people who are at, who had another studio and you got all these different engineers of different calibers yeah it's it's uh it's very easy to have your template go completely haywire yeah and like i've tried it you know but a lot of the time i'm just like well this just doesn't work so i'm having to completely you know bypass the plugins on the template and Pit, you know, load up something else and, you know, the settings are completely different. So I was like, I'm kind of just starting over anyway on sometimes, sometimes like I'll load it up and it, it sounds great. Like, and I, you know, it like 
kind of like what Billy Decker does. Sometimes it works out like that, but um, more often than not, because like I said, um, just like the consistency of the file, like the quality uh, that I get, it's just all over the place. So yeah, I'm finding that it works better for me like with um, the busing and the routing and the master and all that as a template. So, but yeah, I'm still, it's like definitely a work in progress. So I'm just always, always like always, you know, changing it and, um, you know, refining it. So, <laughs> and, and that's part of the process too. It's just like con constantly refining your template to make you work faster and smarter. So, yeah. In your opinion, what ends up making a mix, a great mix? Oh, kind of like, kind of like what I said about what makes a song great. Um, you know, I feel like unless you're a producer or a mixer yourself and you're like really critical about your, like, I have a hard time like disassociating when I hear a song because I, you know, I'm maybe you have this problem too, but every time I hear a song, it's like, I'm immediately like listening for, Oh, that's that snare sample. That's like, this kick is, has a boost that, 8k or whatever like i hear it too technical so it's hard to like just listen to it but i feel like a great mix is when you know you can just hear the song without hearing like oh the the kick's too loud or you know this is this frequency is like super bright and you know hurting my ears like if you can just hear the song for what it is then to me that's great like i don't i'm not super picky about it like i try to be with my own stuff but you know, there's some mixes that I really like that a lot of people would think suck because, oh, there's not enough, enough low end or the, the snare is too loud. Or, you know, I like really, um, I like really aggressive drum tones. So like, I love mixes where shit's slamming and, you know, the guitars are crazy, but it's like, so it's so subjective, man. Like, so it's hard, it's hard to say exactly, but for me, it's like, it's, if I can't, if I can finally just like listen to the song and not hear what's going on in the mix, then to me, it's a great mix. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's, that's a good yeah. answer. Yeah. Cause if you, if you're, yeah, yeah, that, that's a good answer. I like that. <laughs> so you work on a lot of like heavier music. And one thing that I know causes a lot of issues for, for people working in heavy music is like the low tunings with guitars. And I'm curious to get your opinion on, you know, what, what tips do you have on how to get low guitars to work well with like bass tracks and get that clarity? Um, how do you get them to work together in your mix? Well, um, I feel like a lot of people think you, it's the guitar, like the guitars are, you have to retain all of the low end in the guitars to make it them beefy. But the case is like, I find myself even with really low tunings, like, uh, this new project I'm working on, it's like, um, the tuning is like double drop E it's like ridiculous, it's like a full octave below E. And, um, you know, even with like everything from drop D to like whatever crazy low tunings are going on these days, but you really have to make room still with the tuning that low, you have to make room for the bass guitar. So I'm like, I'm cutting lows, you know, I'm cutting at like sometimes between like 50 and 90 Hertz, sometimes a hundred, just what feels right. And I like, I like to let the bass guitar uh, take over those frequencies and just kind of not be afraid to like, not be afraid to sculpt the guitars and, uh, take a little bit out of that low end out because in the mix, when you blend it in with the bass, then it fills out. I feel like, um, a lot of people are too afraid of like, they're like, no, leave all the frequency in of the guitars, um, which I, I get, but I mean, there's so much fighting, uh, going on in these metal mixes, like for, uh, for space, you know what I mean? So I just basically like to, I like to carve out the low end and, um, leave it up to the bass guitar and the bass, uh, grit. Cause I like to do a lot of, I basically split, split my bass. So it's like a sub frequency and then I have a grit track and then sometimes like an even more aggressive track. But I, I like to, um, a lot of what you're hearing in these heavy metal tracks with these gnarly like loud aggressive guitars it's the combination of the bass and the guitar it's a combination of like the um bass distortion with the guitar that make fills it all out so yeah i i cut lows on guitars so that it's not overbearing in the in the final mix and master yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's all about just giving each instrument its own slot in the mix, right? It's not like, I mean, not like high passing everything and just, you know, giving something its own specific band of frequencies or whatever, but you obviously have to be mindful of the fact that 
all these tracks interact with each other and there's certain characteristics of each instrument that are providing tone and clarity and then there's other ones that are just rumble and are getting in the way of other more important instruments in those ranges right exactly because if with metal it's so important like the kick the kick drum and the bass are like locked and the guitar like the guitar doesn't need to be the guitar does not most of the time it doesn't need to be like living down in those super sub frequencies like it just it takes up headroom and it gets in the way it creates mud in the mix so you can really just just take everything out that doesn't need to be there yeah yeah well to maybe a kind of follow-up on this question is like i know another area that a lot of engineers have trouble with when it comes to low tuning is getting the kick drum to stand out while still sounding full um so what's your typical approach with getting a kick drum to fit in the mix that's a good question it's it's challenging because you want it to be, I think, I think you just have to decide, okay, in this mix, what are the most important things that I want to be up front? you know, because not everything can be up front. Um, so I do a lot of like, I like to serial clip on kicks. So I like do a little bit of clipping on the individual, um, kick track. Most of the time, not the, um, not the uh, raw kick track, the acoustic track, but like the sample I'll clip just a little bit on the individual track. Then I'll clip a little bit on the parallel track. Like the pair, I have a parallel, um, I call it kick and snare crush track. So I have my kick and snares bus to this like, um, mono send. And that's clipped a little bit. Like I smashed the hell out of it, like with a 1176 or something. And then I clipped that a little. And then also on the full drum bus, I clipped that a little. So like this serial uh, clipping and compression, like over the, over time in the mix, like with the gain staging and whatnot, it kind of like, it allows it to be loud and pokey. But when you can, when you bring the, um, when you clamp down on the main uh, mix with like a SSL comp or something like it, it helps tuck it away. Um, but that's basically what I do is I, I'm not, um, I'm not subtle with EQ. Like I'm not afraid to crank shit. So especially on kicks, like I like to get, you know, I'll even, I'll put two, three EQ sometimes. Like if I don't have enough low end, like on one, like I use the, um, I use the slate VMR a lot. So I'll have like one EQ up and I'll crank the fuck out of like 8K on the kick and then a hundred or something on the, on the low end. And then in the mix, I'm like realizing later, okay, it's just not, there's not enough. I'll add another one and maybe like the, the Neve one or something and just kick it up a little bit more. And as long as, as long as like my buses aren't going too crazy, I'll adjust that, but just really don't be afraid to make it extreme because the music is, is extreme. You know what I mean? You, if you want the extreme results, like, it's you can't be afraid to go crazy with the, the the eq um it's like it's not the music isn't subtle so sometimes what you're gonna have to do is not subtle i think there's a lot to unpack from what you just said there like i love the idea of like the music isn't subtle so why should you be subtle with the mixes i think that that's such a an important factor and especially these days like music especially metal music is very like hyper sounding it's like i don't know how to describe it other than that it's like it's very bright it's very unnatural in a way you know what i mean like there's a lot of like processing and a lot of like topping on the kicks and all that stuff and so it's kind of like maybe maybe you'll, you'll disagree with this but i kind of feel like if that's the the direction that the genre is going in right now it's like to stay competitive with people in that industry, like you have to just kind of take that approach. And so you have to, you can't be shy to, to go extreme with things. And, and, you know, cause, cause if you, if you don't do that, your drums are going to just sound kind of weak and they're going to sound like, just like they were just mic'd up, which hopefully they were mic'd up well, but that might not be enough to, to cut through in a heavy mix. Oh yeah. Most of the time, like 99% of the time, the drums, like even if you get a really killer sounding raw drums, like recording a great studio, most of the time it's still, it's not enough to cut through in, in a dense, heavy, extreme metal mix. Like you just have to, you have to crank the, the hell out of shit. And, um, that's just the reality. Like very rarely, like, do I get a kit, like a lot of, you know, a lot of engineers are, they'll be like, yeah, this is just, you know, we record it so well, it's just ready to go. Like no EQ needed. It's like, well, mm, I don't know about that. It's like, yeah, I'm like, I love when great sounding drums come in, don't get me wrong, but yeah, there's still, there's still usually more you need to add, you know, high end on the, the snares and the kicks just to like get it to poke through. And there's just, I, I, I'm, I think it was uh crystal algae. Like he did this one, um, 
did this one like tutorial and he was saying like he was like adding a shitload of high end on a snare or something he's like don't worry nobody's gonna die just it's, it's there's no rules in how to make a sound i'm like yeah exactly like that's exactly like what i've always thought but you know in music school like a lot of the time they're they they teach you like well at least when i went to to engineering school is like they don't they don't really say like they're, they're more saying like it's you know start subtle like just add a little bit of high end and then you, sh you should be good and you know if things are like clipping like on a plugins is like don't go too crazy because then you don't want things to overload it's like well for for this style of music that's just like just completely not true it's like you have to be aggressive with it like and not be afraid to be like as if stuff's clipping like here and there fine as long as it still sounds good you know um because I plug, I blow up plugins all the time, but I'm, you know, trimming them on the other end. But um, as long as it's still clear and nothing is distorting, um, it's fine. You know, just don't be afraid to go absolutely crazy with EQ. For sure, yeah. Sometimes you just gotta do what it takes to get the job done, right? Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned Crystal Analogy because I, I have a buddy of mine who went to one of his mixing with the masters things, and uh, I asked him afterwards. I was like, "What was that like? Like, what what did you take of? Like, what was the biggest thing you learned?" And he was like, just crank the shit out of 8K on everything. <laughs> and it's like, that's a, that's like something that nobody tells you to do, right? <laughs> yeah, because it's seen like, oh, that's, it's just, it's too excessive or it's too much. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think like there's, there aren't rules. Like there are, but it's like whatever comes out of the speakers, that's all that matters. You know, as if it sounds fucking killer, then it is. So who cares what is going on in your session? You know, you had talked about clipping a little bit earlier and uh, how you clip drums. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about clipping because I know that that's that's something that not a lot of my guests talk about, and it is a pretty common technique, especially in the metal world. So, so when you describe clip, clipping, you're not talking about just like hitting the red with everything. You're talking about using like a clipping plugin, right? Yeah, um, it is very. I mean, it's very popular now, especially in like heavy, dense hard-hitting um, rock and metal mixes. I, I prefer it to limiting, um, even though I still limit. I use I use clipping mainly for um, adding volume without the extra RMS or too much extra RMS because it's like you can really get things to pop through and to slam and it's not, it doesn't bring up your overall level on your master as much compared to when you're, you know, limiting it or whatever just adding what it's just basically like it's just this kind of really really useful um like loudness tool and if you you can obviously you can go overboard with it but you'll it's very obvious when you have gone overboard with it like it just starts to get too crunchy and fizzy so it's like there's a sweet spot with that so on kicks snares um room uh drum rooms like i'll try it on everything but it's really good for um bringing up like high uh like transient um information so i use it on kicks and snares like especially but um yeah i just it's it's really great tool and it's kind of i don't know i think some engineers would frown upon it but for this style it's just it helps so much well i guess i guess the point with it is that especially with drums, there's such a, a fast transient uh, instrument that that little amount of distortion that you get from the clipping actually sounds pleasing and it's, it's controlling the level overall. So it's not actually like overloading your whole mix, but it's, it's just giving you a little bit of extra point on, on your drums and then pulling up a lot more of like the beef of that, of that drum or the, that instrument. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, that, that's great. I think that that's something, you know, people are so taught to avoid clipping at all and you know people are afraid if that light goes on even if they can't hear the difference it makes you know some sometimes that's actually not a bad thing so uh yeah i think it's good to talk about that because yeah clipping is clipping is another tool it's like you sometimes have to learn the rules to to know how to break the rules as well right and and yeah um you'd also talked earlier about splitting your bass tracks to get a little bit more control of the low end so can you talk a little bit more about that process and what does that look like? What what are you doing with those bass tracks when you're splitting them? Are you just duplicating them? Are you filtering them? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So most of the time in the sessions I'm getting, it's just, I get a DI for bass, um, depending on how it's recorded. Um, I don't know. It Most of the time it's fine. Sometimes I'll get something that is just 
the dynamics are just way out of control or like there's bad edits. So if I need to, I'll just retract the bass and sometimes I'll do that and I won't I won't tell the artist right away. I'll just do it because it's it's it would be easier for me to re, to re, to replay it than to sit there and try and fix it. So I'll do that, but with the um splitting, um it's just a it's a very useful technique that I've been doing for years. Um I'll take the DI, I'll duplicate it. Sometimes I'll I'll do I'll duplicate it twice, but most of the time it's one track um I'll cut out all the highs. Um so I'll like filter off around like 30 to 50 and then on the other end like 100 so I'm just getting the sub like low end frequencies and then I control that with like a compressor or a limiter just so that information is just um static and just kind of staying level in one spot and then if I need to automate it uh up in a chorus or whatever I'll do that but I like to have the low end of the bass like sitting in one spot and always like so I control it uh, can control it and then the other track is kind of similar, but with the high end. So I'll throw like uh, a sans amp or any plugin similar to that, just to get the the grid of the bass. And then I'll control that as well with um, a limiter. So that stays in one spot, but it just really helps be able to control, um, split the frequencies of the bass and control them separately. It's, it's very handy. Yeah. I like that a lot. That, that's definitely an approach that I follow a lot with my own mixes, especially with the sans amp. Like I, I love that. Cause I think that um, with the sans amp specifically, like, Distortion is one of those things with bass that it, it's often necessary to make the bass stand out in the mix, especially a heavier mix. But you often don't hear that distortion unless you were to solo the track, right? Like when you solo it, then you're like, holy shit, there's a lot of distortion on this bass track. But in the context of the mix, sometimes it's like that that distortion is just giving it that that extra character to, to sit a little bit more on the mix, you know? Yeah, it's also like we were talking about before. It also complements the distorted guitars. It really glues like that whole sound overall together. Like what you said, when you, if you were to just listen to the mix, you hear like the wall of the guitars with the, with the bass and the low end. But if you were to mute the guitars and all of a sudden you hear, oh shit, there's like a bunch of crazy growling grit going on on the bass that I didn't necessarily notice before. But if you mute the bass and with the guitar, uh, if you just mute the bass, then like, the guitars all of a sudden sound a little less aggressive and full, like not, or if you, or if you just mute the, um, the grit track of the bass, then all of a sudden, like the guitars sound a little bit less aggressive too. So like it all like, you know, the bass and guitar with like the separating of it, it all like is a big, uh, glued picture really. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I think that that's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about getting control of your mix and, however you can get that control, right? If it's splitting tracks or filtering, like you going, even going back to that, that conversation about just boosting how much EQ you need. It's like, at the end of the day, you got to do whatever technique is going to get you that result that you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Cool. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know that you got a mix that you got to jump on soon. So um, we, we should probably wrap up here. But if anyone's looking to learn more about you or follow you online, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm on Instagram at my name, Alex Crescioni. I have a website, which is the best way to get a hold of me. It's alexcresciani.com. And yeah, pretty much on all the socials, but best way to contact is the official site. So cool. And uh, lastly, are there any cool projects that you're currently working on right now that you can talk about? Yeah. Um, I have this new personal project. It's um, it's like a death doom metal band. We're called uh Sortis Dominum and it's like instrumental doom metal, but it has like hints of death metal and like gothic metal. And there's lots of uh, strings and choirs and whatnot going on. And um, the soul, like the, the main goal is to just create like kind of hellish, um, like a hellish soundtracks that you could hear, like basically like a, like a horror movie in a song. So I'm just like, it's, we have our, uh, our first single is out now. Um, and we have a video for it. So yeah, that's like one of the things I'm really heavily like in the middle of right now. Um, and I just finished, uh, just finished this pretty cool album for an artist based in Paris called, um, Alexander Blackstar and just did, uh, his second album. And, um, he's in the middle of shooting a video for the next single for that. Um, what else I just did? Uh, well, I have a single coming out for a Los Angeles based band called scum love. And they, um, they're doing this big, like, um, publicity press release for it. And that's going to come out on the 15th. Um, did the 
pr produced, mixed, and mastered that. And um, they have a sick video for that. So there's a bunch of other stuff, but like those are probably the things that I could speak about. Um, but yeah, man, just just trying to stay busy and keep the projects going and keeping the passion alive, you know? Yeah, man. I love it. It's great. Cool, man. Well, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to to do this podcast. It was uh, full of a lot of really good advice. And I think, uh, you know, as far as like talking about how to get into the industry, you had a lot of great advice there. And, and from the production side, you also gave some really cool tips too. So I'm sure people are going to find this super helpful. Thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Nice talking to you. No problem, man. So that was my interview with Alex Crescioni, and I love what he had to say there. I thought that his approach to just life and working in this industry is very refreshing. I think there's a lot of people who really try to tough it out in this industry and feel like they need to constantly grind no matter you know what pleasure level they get out of this. And I love Alex's approach to just doing what he loves and turning down work when it's not right for him and taking on projects that he only is passionate about. I know that for a lot of people, that can seem like an intimidating road and that can seem like it's hard to do. But Alex is a great example of someone who has just stuck to his gut and has been working that way. And it's definitely shown. He's definitely been picking up a lot of great work as a result of that. And ultimately, it's improving his portfolio and showcasing his best efforts all the time, rather than watering it down with a bunch of projects that really don't do his work justice. So Alex, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for being on this podcast and for all of the great tips that you gave here. I think that there's a lot for people to pick up from this episode. So for you, the listener, I hope that you really enjoyed this episode. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can get notified of all new episodes as they come out weekly. And we're going to be releasing new episodes every week on Wednesdays. So by being subscribed, you'll get notified as the episodes go live so that you don't miss any of the awesome interviews that we've got lined up. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. That's a website where I help musicians with creating professional recordings from their home studio. And on the site, I've got a ton of great resources to help you make sense of the process and understand what to do with tools like EQ, compression, effects, and a whole bunch more. So definitely check that out, MasterYourMix.com. And while you're there, make sure to check out the Mixing Mindset book. That is a book that I put out that gives you a step-by-step -step process for creating pro recordings from your home studio. And it walks you through my entire process of mixing a song from the beginning and shows you exactly what to do and what to pay attention to when you're EQing and using compression on drums, guitar, bass, vocals, and a whole bunch more. So it really walks you through my entire process. So definitely check that out. It's called The Mixing Mindset, and that's available at MasterYourMix.com. That's it for this episode, guys. I hope that you enjoyed that, and I really look forward to talking to you in the next one. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.